What do you make of the book of Revelation? Open the pages of this book, and we seem to leave behind the frame of reference as we know it in modern day life. We seem to enter into a, a universe so bizarre and fantastic, it, it seems the stuff of fantasy tales. We read of beasts and dragons, of angels and demons, of lions and lambs. We hear of seals being broken and trumpets being blown and mysterious bowls being poured out upon the face of the earth. Before we get to the last page of this book, we, we find ourselves dizzied by all kinds of numeric patterns and our, our blood made to run almost cold by scenes of violent conflict and our heartstrings pulled by ecstatic visions of a restoration of order and goodness that seems almost too good to be true. To read the book of Revelation is to think that you have wandered into the mind of someone who's taken some kind of hallucinogen or else to come face to face with the same power that once descended upon Mount Sinai in thunder and fire and smoke and lasered his will into tablets of stone. Even those who believe the Bible to be the inspired word of God are, are not necessarily unified on how to understand or interpret this book. There are those who feel that the revelation is simply describing in poetic terms events that have already happened way back in the past, in the world of the first and second century, to which they believe John was speaking on behalf of God. There are others still that think the book of Revelation is really a timeline that marks off certain specific events and characters that that begin way back in the first century and continue out to some time at the end of history with you and I located someplace in between. And then there are those others who believe that all that the Revelation describes is yet to come. It's out in our future, in some end time we can't fully see, but may have already begun to wander into. What do you believe? I think the book of Revelation is actually a timeless window. A window into what I would call this morning simply the nexus. A nexus, as many of us are aware, is simply a connection point. Highways and computer networks have nexuses. And there is about a hundred yards from the place where I live an example of a nexus of sorts. 
For nearly two years, every morning as I've walked our retriever, Bonnie, we've passed by it. It's a green metal box, pale green actually, three feet wide, about that high again. And one day, just a few weeks ago, we were happening by in our morning walk when we arrived at that point at precisely the same time that a workman reached over, unlatched the sides, and with one great pull, lifted off the cover of that box, unveiling, as it were, a marvel within. Thousands of wires and points of connection and blinking lights. And the workman explained as I looked on in amazement that I was now looking at the connection point through which thousands of phone calls and faxes and internet connections met and were routed out into the world every single minute of every single day. He said he was just trying to find the particular place where a connection had become broken and someone's line had gone dead. You know, it has struck me since then that on a scale infinitely more vast and with an importance so much greater, than that green box. The book of Revelation is a nexus like that. The book of Revelation takes its title from a word that literally means to unveil. And in the Revelation, God is the workman who momentarily draws back the metal box of normal human perception and allows us to see that which has been there all along, but up till now hidden from our eyes. God gives us a glimpse past the news stories, past the the surface circumstances, past the, the superficial sensory inputs that appear to define our understanding of reality. And he lets us peer right into that hitherto hidden realm where all of the events and all of the players of human history, past and present and future, all come together and connect in common conversations, common conflicts. Through this revelation, God seeks to show His servants something, the book says. To show them a a spiritual infrastructure that is millennia old. 
to show us signals and struggles and patterns that will only intensify as the lines of human history wind toward their final terminus. And which must find their resolution in the one to whom every being, all of history, must connect. Or else go dead. If there is one overriding message to the book of Revelation, this is it. Jesus is the nexus. Jesus is the ultimate connection point. As chapter 1, verse 8 declares, Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last letter of the cosmic conversation between God and his creatures that we call life. He is the one, the Bible says, who is and who was and who is to come. The one with whom the circuit of history and being began in the first place and continues now and finds in the end either a whole new beginning or a decisive conclusion. And as John's gospel puts it, Christ is the Logos. He is the divine word through which all things created have been made, and not anything that has been made was made without him. And it is by his grace, the Apostle Paul says to the Athenians, that we all live, that we all move, that we all have our being whether we recognize it or not. And human or other kinds of beings, I suppose, in the spiritual realm may go through their entire days living in essence cellular lives, believing that they are independent entities. But God says they're not. They're dependent upon Him whether they confess his name or not. And sooner or later, no battery lasts forever. And Jesus himself says, cut off from the vine. The branches will wither. and die. And the first sign that they're dying, that they've become cut off, is that the fruit will begin to go. The love, the joy, the peace and the patience, the kindness and the gentleness and the generosity and the humility 
and the self-control and the faithfulness will begin to go in our world. This is the fundamental truth. Christ is the fundamental truth of the universe that connects all of reality, that connects all of the members of the church across space and across time. It is not so much the fine points of our sacramental doctrines. It's not so much the the music that we use or the clothes that we wear to worship or the shape of our buildings or the multiplicity of our programs that unites us. We are truly and finally connected to one another only to the extent that we are truly and fully connected to him, to Christ. Take away all the lesser distinctions that mark a particular church or a particular believer's life. Take a fourth-century Coptic Christian from Ethiopia and put him in a room with a Russian Orthodox woman from the 1700s and bring in a conservative Chinese Baptist from the 1990s and leave those individuals alone with only the name of Jesus and a prayer of praise to unite them and in an hour they will discover a closer connection with one another than a group of college roommates will establish in four years. if they are truly connected to him. They cannot help but become connected to everyone who else, everyone else who is connected to the nexus. This is the vision behind the Christian concept of world communion. It's not that we momentarily put our arms around somebody who's different. It's, it's not that we pat ourselves on the back for our, our appreciation of diversity. It is that we uniformly and together look to him, seek connection with him, and he binds us together in him with one another. And this is the vision that permeates the entire book of Revelation. But it's not all that's here. In coming days, we're going to explore together many of the other amazing lines that tie us together in Christ. But let me just leave you with a glimpse today of what these first eight verses tell us about just a few of the, of the themes that are going to wind back in in coming chapters and meet us again and again with ever-increasing sense of wonder and meaning. Open your Bibles, if you would, 
Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 reminds us that if we are connected to Christ, then we will experience grace and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. Friends, if you're connected to Christ, you are a person, we are a people to whom God will send grace in time of gravity and grief. We are a people to whom God will give a peace different than the world gives peace in times of struggle or loss. And some of us need to hear that right now. For we need His grace and His peace afresh. And he says, I give it unto you. But verse 5 tells us why we can count on him to extend such help to us. It is because, and I quote, he loves us. I'm not talking about the sort of of simple, sentimental attachment that, that might bind us to someone's heart today but get severed tomorrow. I'm not talking about the kind of, of love that's just a word or a temporary affection that, that's here when the other is easy to like. The love of Christ for the people of His church isn't like a strand of of telephone wire that can be cut with an errant spade. No, the love of Christ is like that great ocean-going communications cable wound around and around through time, thick and indestructible, come blank or high water. That's the love of God He has for His church. And we know that because of what the rest of verse 5 tells us. that He has freed us from our sins by His blood. The Apostle Paul once said, the proof of God's amazing love is this. that while we were yet sinners, while we were still lost in our rebellion, lost in our confusion, lost in our selfishness, or, or just lost in ourself, Christ bled and died for us. Pay the ultimate penalty of sin for us. That we might go free. And we must never forget with what a great love we have been loved. Is there anything that can come at us in life that we cannot bear together 
with that kind of love behind us. But there's more. Jesus has not simply loved us enough to give his life for us, the revelation shows. He has loved us enough to give us an even greater purpose for the life that we now have. Verse 6 says that he has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. Let me tell you something you probably know. Most people spend their entire lives just trying to do something significant. Just trying to do a few things they know will will last the test of time, that will leave a legacy that counts. But beloved, those who are connected to Christ gain significance instantly. The very significance of his being in the moment of connection flows into the branch. And we become part of a kingdom instead of just building our own little castles. We become become priests of grace and truth instead of judges of others. And we become part of a redemptive work that God is doing in the world whose glory and power, even when the life of our bodies withers away, is forever and ever and ever. Amen. As we come to the table of that Lord today, the metal cover will rise again. And the veil will lift for a moment, drawing our eyes from the sounds and the sights that dazzle towards ordinary bread and wine. And yet, for those who have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, these things become the nexus that binds us to a body and to a being that brings us together and connects us far beyond this place. And we will be given the capacity to perceive the Almighty One who joins us together with gifts of grace and peace. 
who embraces us with a love that forgives our sins and invites us into the most important work in the whole universe. A work that he shall complete one day perfectly when on the clouds of glory Jesus Christ comes again. And so John says, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and who take into their hearts what's been written. And blessed be the name of the Lord forever and ever. Amen.